Welcome back to Sensory Investigations. Today I have a sensory story for you unlike any other. As we investigate people's nervous system journeys, you will see that fight, flight, freeze, fawn comes in many different forms. Gypsy Rose's story is an extremely unique story of fawn response. And while the story has some aspects that are incredibly rare, you may be surprised to see that you may also relate in some ways and be able to learn about the fawn response in yourself along the way. As a health and nutrition enthusiast, I have tried countless supplements and vitamins over the years. Along the way, I've learned which ones are just gimmicks and which are truly important, like at the top of my list, like one of the most important ones that is an absolute must-have for me as a neurodivergent is magnesium. In fact, studies estimate that around 90% of people with ADHD experience a magnesium deficiency, which ends up intensifying symptoms like restlessness, poor focus, irritability, sleep problems. Whenever I started taking magnesium, it was a night and day difference. It was a game changer. It's been a staple in my routine for years, and I've tried various brands, lots of different brands over the years. However, Mellow Magnesium by Ned is by far my favorite. What I love about Mellow Magnesium is its super unique blend. It includes three key magnesium forms, most just have one, and instead it has three including the Elite Magnesium Glycinate, which is amazing for brain health and focus. On top of that, it also includes GABA, which I nicknamed my happy supplement for its mood-boosting properties, and L-theanine and trace minerals, making it the most unique and potent magnesium blend that I've ever seen. I highly recommend trying Mellow Magnesium. You can use code SENSORYTHERAPIST for 15% off your first order. So today I have a story for you about one of the most famous Munchausen by proxy cases. Munchausen by proxy is one of those conditions that is extremely misunderstood and has a very negative perception. When people think of Munchausen by proxy, they think of like what you've heard in the media stories and a lot of horror movies and shows like the very popular Sharp Objects or The Act, which is one of the many movie documentaries based off of Gypsy Rose's story. Munchausen by proxy has been so villainized by the media with the simple reason being that the more they villainize it, the more views they get. Except today you won't be hearing the same story you heard in the media, documentaries, or the movies like The Act. Instead, you will be seeing Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose's story from a whole new perspective, a sensory perspective, that will allow you to see and understand both Munchausen by proxy and Fawn State in an entirely new light. As we go through Gypsy and Dee Dee's sensory story, please don't forget that these podcast episodes are opportunities to strengthen our empathy muscle not only for others, but also for the parts of the story that you personally relate to. Remember to give yourself that same love and forgiveness, knowing that by doing so, while it may seem trivial, it may seem simple, it is actually way more powerful and therapeutic than we realize. And by doing so, we are strengthening our empathy muscle for ourselves and our ability to love ourselves and build our own confidence, taking away the power from that little critiquing voice inside of our head. And when we strengthen our empathy muscle, something important that happens is that we are consequently at the same time healing our shame wound and healing our fawn state wound. 
Gypsy Rose's nervous system story begins July 27, 1991 in Golden Meadow, Louisiana, which is a tiny fishing town along the Louisiana Bayou on one of the southernmost tips of Louisiana, right along the coast. And if you Google it, it's exactly what it sounds like. Pretty meadows everywhere with yellow flowers surrounded by water everywhere. And by the way, when I said small, I meant it. There are actually less than 2,000 people still today in Golden Meadow. And 30 years ago when Gypsy was born, Golden Meadow had a population of 1,700 people, which is less than the high school I went to where I had 500 people alone, almost 500 people in my graduating class. Baby Gypsy was born in Golden Meadows and was born reportedly healthy. One family member said they remember her being born slightly premature, which can understandably be an incredibly experience for any parent, especially a first-time parent, which I would imagine is especially traumatic for a parent who may also be more likely to jump to those worst-case scenarios. But according to reports, other than being born slightly premature, Gypsy's dad, Rod, and family remember her being born perfectly healthy. So Gypsy Rose was born to Claudine, or Dee Dee as we all know her, and Rod Blanchard. And Rod had first started dating Dee Dee when he was 17 years old and still in high school. And Dee Dee at that time was 24 years old. And so they dated for six months before Dee Dee became unexpectedly pregnant. And with Dee Dee's pregnancy in their small town, they decided to very quickly get married, even though they had only been dating a short period of time. So they got married in December 1990, and very shortly after, Gypsy Rose joined the world in July 27th, 1991. And the story behind how Gypsy Rose actually got her name is from her dad, Rod, was a big Guns N' Roses fan, and because Dee Dee loved the name Gypsy, in which I personally love her name, and I find it interesting that Gypsy's name means wanderer, a traveler, which is the exact opposite of what you would imagine a free-spirited child named Gypsy's childhood would look like and very different from the life she would live for the first two decades of her life. So shortly after Rod and Dee Dee got married, Rod decided that he had changed his mind and wanted to get a divorce. Upon his 18th birthday and becoming legally an adult, he realized he had married for the wrong reason and had married too quickly, a decision he would stand firmly by even when Dee Dee, who can be incredibly determined and convincing, tried her best to save their marriage. So hearing this, I picture Dee Dee at just 24 years old, still incredibly young and postpartum, just having given birth to Gypsy Rose, which this would be traumatic for anyone, especially someone who is highly sensitive. This experience could have contributed to a pattern of distress observed throughout the rest of her life. This mistrust could have influenced her decision to isolate herself from her family and fostering an us-against-the-world mentality with Gypsy. Just reflect on for a moment the abandonment and shame that likely came from this whole experience that Dee Dee likely felt and that you may have felt had you gone through the same experience. Shame is that feeling that fuels Fawn's state, a feeling that Dee Dee would go to great lengths to escape and to cover up. And while we'll never know the specifics, it appears according to interviews with Rod and Gypsy that He tried to stay in Gypsy's life, even as a kid himself. He tried over and over again throughout Gypsy's early years to sustain their relationship, 
To what extent, we're not sure, but he did try until he eventually became shut out entirely along with the rest of Dee Dee's family. So to really understand Gypsy and Dee Dee and some of the generational patterns that exist there, Dee Dee, as a child, she was the youngest of six siblings, and her mom claimed that she had a heart murmur. And because of this, it's reported that she received somewhat of a special treatment compared to her siblings, largely because of her proposed medical condition. Something happens when we are taught to be overly cautious as a child. Of course, while a healthy amount of cautiousness is helpful and keeps us safe, it can reach a point where it becomes unhealthy and have physical and psychological consequences. You see, we are meant and built to explore and try new things. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. It is in our blood and our DNA. As we explore and move our bodies, it helps our senses to not only grow and strengthen, but to develop trust for the world around us. When we are taught to be overly cautious, like extreme levels of cautiousness, our movements are more timid, which can lead to physical consequences and impact our physical development. Like one of those ways is something called gravitational insecurity, or like I mentioned, being overly scared of movements, something that when we experience can actually end up triggering us over and over and over again into fight or flight our vestibular sense, our balance sense being triggered constantly. And that is just one example of the many physical and emotional and psychological consequences. Something that is hard for me to share, but I believe is also really important to better understand Dee Dee and Gypsy's sensory story is something that Gypsy has shared that happened to both her mom, Dee Dee, and herself. And I also want to provide a trigger warning for SA for anyone that wants to fast forward a minute or two. So Gypsy has come out and shared that her grandpa, Dee Dee's father, was sexually abusive to her as a child and her mother, which for anyone who has experienced childhood abuse, I want to send you the biggest virtual hug and all the healing and positive energy and the reminder that you are so worthy and so deserving. And while an important piece to sensory trauma therapy approach is acknowledging how traumatic it is growing up with a sensitive nervous system in a very sensory overloading world, we acknowledge especially that the world largely downplays sensory trauma. But especially regarding essay and child abuse, words truly cannot describe how horrible it is and how much it affects sensitive and developing nervous systems. And I say this to acknowledge, again, for all highly sensitive people, all HSPs out there, how worthy of empathy and understanding and worthy of love for all the trauma that we have endured, that we have experienced. You are worthy of more empathy than you could ever imagine. And to transition back to our sensory story really quick, I want to talk about the nervous system impact of particularly childhood essay. Research shows us two things that happen, and the first one is having heightened senses. The physical structure of our senses change when we experience trauma. They change to overly perceiving threats in our environment. It can lead to sensory sensitivities for those of that didn't have that previously, or in many cases, it intensifies already sensitive senses and nervous systems, which would explain for Dee Dee the, her constantly perceiving threats that are not actually there, which brings us to the second thing that commonly happens, which is often an altered perception or a warped reality. Trauma not only shapes our reality through conditioning, 
and expectations of what is quote-unquote normal, but it can also distort our perception and leading us to misinterpret or even see things that aren't necessarily real. I think realizing this is important, like the fond state wound and shame wound in me will distort reality for me. For example, one of the ways that I used to all the time and I would have a skewed understanding, a warped view of reality. One of the things I used to do all the time was believing that someone was mad at me or that people were talking poorly about me or judging me. Like I may hear someone, like I thought I actually heard someone in the background whispering or talking about me. I thought, would think in my head that I heard my name and my mind would just automatically jump to, oh, those people are whispering, they might be talking about me, oh, they're judging me. And being a lot of times, this would just happen subconsciously, just me having that overly awareness of what others were thinking and what they might be perceiving about me or thinking about me. And learning that because of all my sensory trauma that I had experienced throughout my life and that this is a common experience for those of us with highly sensitive nervous systems is having that misconstrued or distorted reality. The healing that occurred from finally knowing this and having this understanding, the healing that occurred from being able to label it exactly what it is, which is a trauma response and an altered perception of reality and that it's not real, that allowed me to correct it and to heal, which is why I'm constantly but also very lovingly and kindly questioning my perceptions and my thoughts whenever I'm worried if someone might be talking about me or judging me or if someone's mad at me, just very lovingly asking myself whether this is a threat is real or whether or not is it is imagined or whether or not it is exaggerated I believe that when we truly understand how trauma altered and impacted us as children and consciously and actively countered the impact trauma had on us we can prevent the trauma from causing further damage and start healing those limiting beliefs and healing our nervous system and healing those limiting beliefs specifically that are constantly triggering us and dysregulating our nervous systems. And unfortunately for Didi, you see what happens when we aren't able to receive this help and we don't receive this awareness and education and how her fear and dysregulation appears to become worse and worse over time. And particularly when dysregulation becomes a distorted reality, you can see this played out in Didi when she sees things that are not real and genuinely believes it to be true. Like when Gypsy was three months old, Didi was convinced that Gypsy had sleep apnea. So if you're not familiar with sleep apnea in babies, some of the symptoms include noisy breathing, snoring, pauses in breaths, and my guess would be that maybe baby Gypsy was a restless sleeper. So I picture Didi three months postpartum, lack of sleep, dealing with all the emotions and trauma of a divorce, and becoming a single mom, and projecting all of this anxiety, projecting all of this dysregulation into baby Gypsy. And I believe that she, at this point, had moved back in with her parents, and so maybe her mom at this time might have also been voicing similar concerns to Didi, who had also been reported to have been a hypochondriac, so a perfect combination at the start to cause that fear and anxiety. And during this time, it seems like Didi genuinely believed that something is wrong with Gypsy. This seems like something that she's not necessarily making up symptoms, but could genuinely mistaken as a young new mom. 
And maybe Gypsy had colic as a baby, or she was simply unaware of some of those new, those baby nuances that can be scary if you don't know what's going on. And it seems like after this, things were okay for Gypsy for the next few years. We don't hear about anything alarming happening for a while. But after this is where things get very blurry for Dee Dee, and the question becomes, is Dee Dee fully aware that she's blatantly making up injuries, conditions, and illnesses? And this is where we see the beginning of Dee Dee's lies, something that we're going to talk about and that is highly connected to that fond state. And for the first five years, Gypsy would grow up to walk and run and play with her cousins. We don't hear again about anything until five years later, when Gypsy is five years old at this point, when interestingly enough, Gypsy was involved in a motorcycle accident with her grandpa, where she sustained minor injuries, just described as minor abrasions on her knee. And I know I have quite a few scars on my body, especially my knees from like scooter, you know, your razor accidents as a kid and just like running, climbing, being a kid running around, but it seems like this particularly was one of the big triggers for Dee Dee, where you see Dee Dee go from zero to a hundred, because it is at this point where Dee Dee believes that Gypsy is no longer safe to walk, run, and is safer using a wheelchair, which you can see that belief turn into Dee Dee eventually truly believing that Gypsy not only should not walk, but Gypsy cannot walk. And after this accident, Gypsy received a wheelchair that Dee Dee would want her to use for the rest of her childhood and teenage years. And this is when Gypsy, again, was only five years old. And one thing that I think is interesting that has never been connected is that Dee Dee's mom passed around the same time, which losing my mom is personally one of my greatest fears, and I just can't imagine the pain of losing your mom. And I wonder if this could have been one of those major triggers along with that lifetime of sensory trauma and other forms of trauma that Dee Dee had also experienced. Because this is where you really see that huge shift in Dee Dee and where Gypsy's life takes a huge turn. So interestingly enough, Gypsy has actually stated that there was never a point that she thought she was actually paralyzed. She under oath has stated that she has known that she was always able to walk. So naturally being a kid, whenever her mom wasn't looking, she would jump on the trampoline with her cousins or push them around in her wheelchair. And if she was ever caught by her mom would immediately collapse, crawling back to her chair, likely feeling trapped in that strong desire to escape. That feeling that would become all too familiar for Gypsy and get to know far, far more than most of us could imagine. And so when it comes to hypochondria, let's get into this really quick. I have actually been called a hypochondriac too many times to count by my friends, and it's something that awareness and education has been very healing for me. As a child, I remember, again, having hypersensitive senses. Not only were my senses overly aware and overly alert of just every little sensation and discomfort in my body, for that matter, which would lead to me becoming overly worried about pain and discomfort and sickness and start jumping to worst case scenario. Even as an adult, I can weirdly sense the exact moment that I become sick because, again, I still have a little of this over-awareness and I still have those extra sensitive senses and I can start to feel my old fears propping up and jumping to those worst case scenarios and different situations. 
and hypochondria is an incredibly common in neurodivergence for this matter and it's due to the combination of our sensory our sensory sensitivities along with us spending a lot more time in a fear-based state and fight flight freeze fawn and a really interesting thing that happens that you may have actually experienced before like those moments where you have gone down the WebMD rabbit hole and are now convinced that you have some life-threatening condition. And for a second, you can actually manifest different sensations that weren't previously there. But simply from just reading WebMD, you become hyper-aware of the teeniest, tiniest sensations. It becomes amplified and you feel it 10 times or 100 times more. And you're now you're feeling quote-unquote symptoms that you weren't just feeling before and it can become a vicious cycle. Now, being aware of this cycle and the science behind it, I'm able to tell myself in those moments that I am safe, nothing is wrong, I am healthy, and I'm able to stop it in its tracks from getting any worse. But I think it's important to note that it can truly feel real to those who experience it. And I know for Dee Dee, she didn't necessarily experience hypochondria, but more so hypochondria by proxy or Mutinson by proxy, where that fear is misplaced on someone else. And before we jump into Fawn State's relationship to everything, I want you to just reflect on how scared of the world Dee Dee was and how petrified she was for anything bad to happen to Gypsy. And in a weird way, Dee Dee believed that she was protecting Gypsy. And in an unusual form of self-love, helicopter parent, overly protective parent, And if you look closely, you can see how Dee Dee may have genuinely believed that she was doing the right thing. When Gypsy was either six or seven years old, her mom ended up taking her out of school to homeschool her, which I don't think homeschooling is a bad thing. And I would totally consider homeschooling for a period of time and just depending on my kids unique nervous system needs. But I think it's interesting to know that her reasoning for doing so was because at this point with Gypsy being six or seven, just again, a couple years after we see her triggered and go into that full fledged fear surrounding Gypsy's health. And so she reports her reason for doing this is because she believed Gypsy's illnesses had become so severe that she needed to be homeschooled. So she went to homeschool Gypsy, and at this point she moved in with her dad, who had remarried at this point. And I'm not exactly sure how much schooling and education actually went on at home. I know Gypsy has shared that she actually learned how to read from Harry Potter series, which makes me so happy as someone who is a massive Harry Potter fan And to this day, I think there are just so many beautiful life lessons and self-esteem lessons and nervous system lessons to learn from Harry Potter. I think it's interesting, if you're familiar with the story of Harry Potter, you know that after his parents were murdered, he went to live with his aunt and uncle who abused him, neglected him, mistreated him, and it was with his determination and courage is what motivated him throughout the book until he was finally able to become free from his aunt and uncle. So just an interesting coincidence. One question that often gets asked, though, is where were Dee Dee's parents during all of this? Like, who were there and witnessing everything but seemed to do very little? And so we know that for Gypsy's grandmother and Dee Dee's mother, Emma, although she passed when Gypsy was five or six years old, it is reported that she also showed a lot of similarly overly protective behaviors for Dee Dee's proposed heart murmur, when she was a child and siblings have shared that she really, Dee Dee wasn't really allowed outside and was treated again very differently 
and was very overly protective. And to some, it appears like they were almost like they were encouraging her behaviors by not speaking out against it or trying to save Gypsy, that in a way they were actually validating Dee Dee's misconceptions and encouraging her false reality. And one thing about fawners that can happen is that we can be incredibly convincing because, again, we can be so consumed and worried about other people's opinions that we can become exceptionally good at masking and, again, masking, putting on a show, convincing, manipulating in some ways, which in Dee Dee's case is confirmed by Rod, her ex-husband and Gypsy's father, who has emphasized how incredibly convincing Dee Dee used to be. And I think about when reflecting on how Dee Dee's abuse became as severe as it did, again, just another example of generational patterns and how they can either be intensified over time or also get better over time. Something that really motivates me personally is to be that generational pattern breaker for my family and the patterns of fight, flight, freeze, fawn that have made its way through generations in my own family. And also, in many ways, Gypsy appears to be breaking patterns and considering everything she's been through appears to be dedicated to fighting to be a better person. And before we continue with our sensory story, one thing that I want to point out here so you can be aware as we continue with Gypsy's story is something that many of us sensitive souls do, like many of our trauma responses. This fond state is no different as in is it is purely a defensive measure it is something that we do in an attempt to protect ourselves to make us feel safe and the particular fawn state response that i want to dive into is lying the thing about lying is it is not as black and white as many of us think it is and the truth is lying comes in many different forms there's a wide spectrum of lying And this is something that happens very frequently and that you may experience to some degree. For example, there might be some lies that you tell yourself, again, like that distorted sense of reality. And this is something that I also see so frequently with kids that I work with. And not all of them, because I definitely have some kids that run on the other side of the spectrum, the brutally honest side. But one thing I see all the time is I will see kids either do something they know they aren't supposed to do, and then a teacher or someone will kind of reprimand them and ask, like, did you do that? And if they did that, to be immediately responded by, no, no, I didn't. And you'll see them stand by their decision. They'll stand by their lie. And you'll see that the more they stand by it, the more in that moment that you can see in their eyes that they are actually believing it. You will watch their memory shift and transform in front of your eyes. And if you think back to some of your memories, you can see how you may have shifted some of your memories as well. Or see an event instead of through rose stains, some pretty lens, instead you're seeing a past memory, a past event through dark, cloudy, through more negative lens. And like I mentioned Lying comes in many different forms, and there are actually so many different forms of lying that are considered socially acceptable, like sugarcoating, and for me, Fonse is one of my top trauma responses. One of the reasons that it is also the most common or one of the most common is because in a lot of ways, it is the most socially acceptable out of fight, flight, freeze, fun. And for me, to be completely honest, I used to tell white lies all the time and sugarcoat things all the time because I was craving that validation. I was craving that feeling of safety that comes with validation. And something else I would also do 
is masking. I would use all my energy trying to overcompensate and make everyone else happy being who they expected me to be or who they wanted me to be because my nervous system was addicted and craving safety in that form of external validation. Someone to remind me that I am okay, I am safe, I am not in trouble. That was what my nervous system was craving. And masking is one of those things where oftentimes we mask and we end up forgetting who we are in those moments. And we, again, kind of similar how I said that when kids like stick by their lie, you can see them go from like kind of knowing they're lying to actually believing it. And the same thing can happen with masking instead of shifting to be who we think they want us to be in order to be accepted and to feel appreciated and to feel like we fit in, which is at the heart of fond response. And if you hear something or tell you something over and over and over again, you'll start to actually believe it, which is why at my lowest, I had completely lost touch and forgotten who I really was at my core. And I had really grown to believe that my mask was me and that my mask was my authentic self, even though it wasn't. And when we are constantly masking, it becomes easy to lose touch with who we are and we forget who we are which has been a major point of healing for me and healing my fawn wound is getting really crystal clear on who I am at my core when external validation is not a factor. And if I was by myself, who would I want to be? What would I genuinely want to be doing that would make me happy? And learning how to give myself internal validation instead of constantly relying on external validation. We are doing all of these things to avoid feeling shame, and most of the time we don't realize it. So as we get back to Gypsy's story, Gypsy and Dee Dee's story, reflect on this and the fact that this is the root of Dee Dee's actions. And remember that this is one of those extreme cases where somebody fawns and lies to escape shame and to receive that validation. And from Dee Dee's childhood trauma where she grew up in a world where she was similar to Gypsy, overly protected and taught the idea that we must fear injury and be overly careful of all the threats out there in the world because our bodies are so delicate. And you combine that with the potential child abuse that Dee may have also encountered. And when you look closely, you can see how Dee Dee was just living in this chronic fear. She was constantly looking for threats and fearful of threats, all just trying to protect her daughter, Gypsy Rose. So back to her sensory story, at this point, this is where things take a massive turn, where Dee Dee's family believed that Dee Dee was possibly poisoning her dad's new wife, which led to her developing mysterious symptoms and chronic illness until finally Dee Dee moved away after her family's growing suspicions of her, by which afterwards her dad's wife's symptoms magically improved and Dee Dee moved over two hours away from the most southern point of Louisiana in Golden Meadows to another larger city along the Louisiana coast. And this is where the first records of Gypsy being tested for muscular dystrophy, vision problems, hearing problems, seizures, and she would have surgeries including removal of her salivary glands, feeding tube implantation, and after living incredibly isolated in Seidel, Louisiana, was when Hurricane Katrina devastated Louisiana. And I will never forget this when I was in fifth grade and hearing the horrors that came from Hurricane Katrina. And for Gypsy and Dee Dee, they survived and ended up living in a special shelter for people with disabilities. And they lived there for three months before moving permanently to Aurora, Missouri when Gypsy was 14 years old at this point. 
And this is where all of the extravagant gifts and charity begins that a lot of us have heard in the news. And I am not going to list all of them and go into the details of all of them because we'd be here all day. But some of them include Gypsy winning Child of the Year from the Olay Foundation, which is a nonprofit that advocated for rights of people with feeding tubes. And she won that award when she was 16 years old in 2007 and then in the next year in 2008 this is the one that most of us have heard about if you're familiar with the story and that is when habitat for humanity renovated their missouri home putting in a wheelchair ramp and even a hot tub and then there were free concerts like backstage passes to miranda lambert and then free flights you hear about make a wish foundation and free trips to disney world over the years and Dee would go on to believe that Gypsy, during this time, had leukemia, asthma, muscular dystrophy, seizures, brain damage, learning disabilities. And by the time Gypsy was 19 years old, she was believing that she was 15, even though she was 19. And this is the age that she would realize that everything was a lie and that her age was a lie. Her conditions were a lie. And she would learn the true reality of it all being behind her mom's distorted reality that Gypsy had also grown to believe all these years. And she realized that if she tried to escape or do anything against her mom's demands, that her mom would do anything to stop her and to, in her eyes, keep her safe. Whether that meant physically harming her or keeping her locked to a bed, Gypsy realized that nothing would stop her mom. And which in Didi's head again, and in her head and her misconstrued reality, all she was trying to do was protect her daughter from harm, which is the part that really gets me is this juxtaposition that Gypsy would feel under attack and endangered by her mom and with Gypsy's sense nervous system viewing her mom as the ultimate threat. And then on the other side, Dee Dee viewed herself as the only way of protecting Gypsy and keeping her safe in this world. And ultimately, Gypsy, believing it was her only way out, Gypsy would commit one of the most infamous crimes, helping to take the life of somebody who, in her altered perception and her distorted reality, believed she was helping, but in true reality was causing unimaginable amounts of harm. And as I was researching and learning about Dee Dee's sensory story, I saw somebody with a whole lot of fear in their nervous system. And in a way, a learned hypochondria combined with shame wounds and fonsate wound resulting in a strong need of external validation from others and childhood trauma causing again this distorted sense of reality and a dangerous combination that in this case produced severe Mugensen bad proxy which is also known as factitious disorder imposed on another but that's longer and for me harder to say so I stick with the more known phrase Mugensen by proxy which Google defines as a condition that causes people to make up or induce illnesses in people they care for like a child or an elderly parent in order to get sympathy and attention but as you have learned the sensory definition behind Mugensen by proxy that provides a lot more detail and helps you to really see the root of it all this is why I love sensory therapy and the sensory trauma approach is that the same with ADHD PTSD CPTSD all these extrasensitive nervous system diagnoses is because it allows us to have a better understanding of what is happening inside of us what is happening in our nervous systems and today we really barely dove into the physical sensory aspect of it all we mostly stayed on the psychological sensory side today 
but it is an incredibly sad sensory story, but one that doesn't end there, but instead ends with hope. And some of you may not agree with me, but others may be able to see where I'm coming from after hearing another side to Dee Dee and Gypsy's story compared to the story that we've been taught through media. And which, similar to the theme of our episode, social media's depiction is also often distorted. And the sliver of hope lies in knowing that Dee Dee loved and cared for Gypsy, although her trauma and dysregulation, and not my favorite term, but mental illness, would get in the way... So at the end of the day, Dee Dee loved Gypsy and I like to think that she would be happy to see Gypsy Rose happy today and actively healing her trauma and healing those generational patterns and also taking ownership for her mistakes. And to anyone who can relate to any part of the story, like myself, who can get lost in Fawn State, I hope that all of us Fawners learn that the absolute best form of validation is the validation that we give ourselves. Even though external validation may feel good in the moment, all it does is feed our shame wound and keep us stuck in fear in that fond state and true freedom comes when we learn how to give ourselves internal validation we learn self-love what self-love truly means that we are all so deserving of we learn true self-love and the kind of love that where we are true to ourselves we are free from masking we're free from lying we're free from constantly trying to please or seek validation from others but when we're able to give ourselves give our nervous system the love and safety it seeks that is where healing begins and if you are looking for guidance along your nervous system healing journey, I invite you to check out Sensory Therapy Retreat, my online sensory sanctuary to heal and explore sensory trauma therapy. My sensory therapy membership provides a supportive space and powerful tools to help you navigate your nervous system, heal from sensory trauma, and find the safety you deserve. Inside the membership, you can find a sensory training certification program. You can find loads of sensory trauma healing resources like access to therapeutic workbooks, guided sensory meditation libraries made specifically for neurodivergence you'll find a sensory exercises you will find a full sensory evaluation to take a deeper dive and look at your own senses and your nervous system you'll also find a six-week nervous system rewiring program and a lot of sensory workshops on a variety of topics like burnout demand avoidance unmasking you can join the sensory therapy membership today and begin your healing journey and start a new chapter in your sensory story so remember dear sensory survivor your story is uniquely yours as you navigate your own path may you find the strength to dismantle your walls embrace vulnerability and discover the liberation that awaits you beyond fight flight freeze fawn and of course feel free to continue investigating the topics we discussed about today through your own research and experiences thank you for joining me on the sensory investigation until next time take care of yourselves and remember you are worthy of safety connection and healing Please remember that all information presented in this podcast is based on publicly available sources and interpretations. It is not meant to be a definitive account of any individual's lives or personal experiences, so always approach such information with a compassionate lens.